Get the Healing and Assessment Guide for Difficult Relationships over at loveandabuse.com. Life presents the toughest challenges. Every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world. We're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively, but what do you do when that stuff doesn't work? Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. This is Paul Coliani, host of The Overwhelmed Brain, the personal growth show for the critical thinker. On every episode, we'll talk about practical, down-to-earth steps to help you improve your mood and keep you sane in this powerful journey we call life. I want to help you bridge the gap between your emotions and reason, causing you to discover why you do the things you do and what you can do to reach higher levels of happiness and lower levels of stress and overwhelm. My ultimate goal is to help you become empowered so that you can create the life you want. So let me read you today's quote, which will set the stage for what I'm about to talk about in this segment. The quote is by Ernest Holmes, and it's this. Life is a mirror and will reflect back to the thinker what he thinks into it. How often do we reflect on what else is happening in the world? I mean, lately, things have been happening in the world that have been quite awful. And in fact, it's probably some of the worst news that you could hear that people are getting shot and bombed. And, you know, I don't mean to fill the beginning of this episode with bad news, but I want to put something inside your head to help you get through these hard times. And, you know, these aren't all hard times. We just hear about uh, these things, and then we equate it that that's how the world is going. That's not how the world is going. That's how little tiny segments of the world are going. That's what's happening. There's there's people in this world that are just doing evil things. But that's not how the world is going. That's what those people are doing to certain other people, to certain places in the world. But the world itself has a lot of good things going on. And it's hard to see that when we get repeatedly exposed to bad news. When our Facebook feeds show uh, political statements and political videos, and then we get sucked in to the conversation. And then we'll have some person trolling in there saying inflammatory statements just to turn us all against each other. I want you to think about that. How many conversations have you gotten in where some third party, someone, especially online, this usually happens a lot, says something that really upsets one side or the other. And then a conversation ensues that just pits us against each other. Well, you know, God said this and it's in the Bible. And then someone comes along and says, why are you believing that fantasy? And then someone else comes along, you're going to go to hell. And then we get into these conversations that are almost pointless and really based on our belief that we are being personally attacked. I'll tell you what, when you have an online conversation 
It's not personal. There's nothing personal about it. It's someone hiding behind a screen, saying something, hoping to inflame you, and then sitting back laughing while you try to defend yourself. And it's pointless. Most of it is. A lot of it's pointless. You know, some of these conversations can lead to uh, people talking about it more and more. How many times have you seen these heated debates back and forth lead to something productive? It's always about, I'm right and this is why, and the other person going, I'm right and this is why. And then feelings are hurt, and then the conversation finally fizzles out with everyone walking away upset in some way. You know, my girlfriend had an interesting theory that I'd like to share with you. What if the people that are doing the most evil in the world today, I mean, I'm sure you can come up with many names or many groups that you can think of that are spreading evil in some way. What if those people are in our social circles online? What if um, like a few members of those people come into our group chats, our social circles, and say things for the sole purpose of pitting us against each other? What if they're working on breaking down our foundations and getting us to take sides? I mean, I don't know if that's true or not, but do we really know who is stirring the pot? Do we really know who is rocking the boat? Who is running the game? Now, I don't want to get political here, and I'm not going to, but... I just want you to keep an open mind that when you find yourself in any type of hot debate or hot topic, take a step back and figure out if you're being pitted against someone else that maybe you want to like. Maybe you don't. I don't know. But if we were all living in the same house, let's just say that you, me, and 10 other people are living in the same house and we all have our own room, but we have to share the kitchen. And the living room is big enough and has a big TV and we all have to kind of agree on what to watch on TV. How hard is it to live together in the same house and share these resources that we need to share and get along? How hard is it already in that respect alone without adding an element of anger or disagreement on political issues or personal issues? That would be hard. But when we're not together, when we're separated by states or countries or continents, how much easier is it to want to be against someone? Sometimes we're fighting for what we believe is right, and I'm all for that. But how far do you want to take it? And how important is it for you to be right about something that you're really not directly involved in anyway? Now, I know this doesn't really have to do with Uh, some of the bad stuff going on in the world today. But I just want you to think about that the world itself has a lot of good things going on in it. There's more equality now than ever, and it's, you know, we still have stuff to work on, but we're getting better and better at that every day. And the better the world gets, the more opposition you're going to see pop up. Not everyone wants equality. Not everyone wants peace. So, I'm not saying that the world's going to get worse. I'm just going to say there are going to be individuals and individual groups that are going to spring up and try to take our peace and comfort away from us. So we just have to realize that there are people out there that don't want us to be happy. 
And what are we going to do? Are we going to let them dictate how we feel, what emotions we feel, what thoughts we think? Or when bad things happen, and they will happen, are we going to stick together? Are we going to stick together as our countrymen and women, as our planet Earth men and women? Are we going to stick together in the name of good and morals and ethics, knowing that the bigger picture is that we're all here to get through the day, the week, the year? Or are we going to focus on wanting to be right, to make a point, and make other people feel bad? Especially with all the bad stuff that we see on the news. I think people are inherently good. They start off good, they start off innocent, and then their minds get programmed by those around them, by the people they are brought up by and hang out with. And as they get older, their minds are more and more influenced by their environment and the people around them. But they started off good. Our origins are good, which is why I have faith in humanity. I have faith that even though something terrible happens today, 100,000 good things happen tomorrow. But it's hard to find people sensationalizing the good things and so easy to tune into and relate to the bad. So where are you tuning your thoughts? Where is your focus? That doesn't mean you deny what's going on because you still have to be there in heart and soul for those around you that might be going through a bad or difficult situation, whether that's a worldly matter or the person that you live with or your friends or family. There's a lot of people that have it pretty rough and they can't see past their own pain to see the pain of others, to feel the pain of others. It's not that they're selfish. It's just that they don't know anything else but what they feel and what they experience. I mean, I've been there. It took me a long time to develop gratitude, a really long time, up until my 30s. It was hard for me to be grateful, and I had to learn gratitude through seeing the pain in others, through experiencing the stories that others shared with me. And the more you hear, even though it's a lot of bad news, the more you get to reflect. And the more you reflect, the more perspective you have. So let me say this. When you look on the news, when you look online, and you see the bad news pouring in, it's okay to feel bad. It's okay to feel angry. It's okay if you want to do something about it. But there's going to be a point where feeling bad has to pass. It has to. You can't carry it with you. You have to let it pass. And if you can't think of any reason to let it pass, then think of this. There are people hurting that you may need to be there for. I mean, it's sort of like when a child is lost in a family. The entire family is devastated and they go through a huge grieving process, probably for the rest of their lives. And the grieving needs to happen. You need to cry. You need to be upset. You need to be mad at whoever you need to be mad at. Let it come out. And then, as you do that more and more, as you express more and more, the pain decreases. It doesn't mean you don't love the person anymore. It just means you don't have to feel the pain anymore. And as the pain decreases, you can start to be there for each other again. And you can start focusing on what you have now. 
and who needs you now? And if you're looking around and you're thinking, well, no one needs me now, I'm alone, or you have any types of thoughts where you think no one needs you, remember the number one person that needs you is you. That sounds silly, but it's absolutely true. If you can't be there for you, then even with people around you that can be there for you, they will not be able to help you until you can help yourself. And all that means, I don't want you to look so deeply into that thinking, how do I help myself? (laughs) Well, if you're listening to this show, that's a good start. But one of the things that you do to help yourself is start living authentically. Start honoring your personal boundaries. If you're not already doing it, start with one small step of living from your true self. There's nothing worse than moving through life, living the way others expect you to be. There's nothing worse than that. There's nothing worse than living inauthentically. I know you have to be careful around some people. If you're truly authentic around some people, they may be aggressive or violent. So you have to make the right choice then. But for the most part, what are we scared of by being our true selves? I might lose my job. My husband or wife might leave me. My girlfriend or boyfriend might leave me. People might look at me funny. People might think I'm less than who I am. And the truth is, by not being authentic, you are less than who you are because you're not being yourself. Be yourself and you automatically are more. If that means you're holding on to a secret and you just want to tell someone about it, then maybe it's time to tell someone. If you've been holding on to anger or fear, then maybe it's time to share that. The more authentic that you live, the less negativity and resistance that you will hold on to. So when the bad stuff happens in the world and you find out about it, let it out. Just say what you're going to say and be angry and grieve and be sad and let it all out so that the next day you can start living life again. I know this isn't possible everywhere in the world. I know that there are some places in the world that have to experience some sort of war or famine or really terrible things on a daily basis. I mean, we hear stories of refugees crossing the ocean and losing their life because they want to get out of a situation that's terrible for them. And yes, I know there's a lot of pain in the world. But I want you to know it's okay to feel okay. It's okay to experience that pain and hurt and express it and then feel okay again. Because if you carry that around, you spread it around. If you carry the hurt with you, you spread the hurt. You may not think you are, but when you interact with people every day, there's pain in that interaction if you're holding on to it. If you are at all holding on to anger, pain, fear, shame, embarrassment, guilt, any of that stuff, it comes out. It comes out in subtle ways. It comes out where you don't even know it's happening, but people sense it and we don't even know we're doing it. I remember when I was married, my wife would tell me when I shifted. That's what she called it. So I would be in a fairly good mood and then I would have a thought come to mind and that thought would uh, trigger something emotionally in me and I would feel bad. But I thought I was really good at hiding how I felt to anyone else. And for the most part, I think I was. However, she was tuned in and she could tell when I shifted. 
I remember hugging her one day and she goes, whoa. And she pushed me back. She said, you just shifted. And I was like, what? (laughs) I didn't shift. What are you talking about? And she goes, what's going on? What's going on inside of you? And I was like, you felt that? I still don't understand to this day what she felt, but we are highly perceptible beings. We can feel things. We can sense things. I don't care how analytical you are. You still have gut instinct. You still have that inside of you. And sometimes it's a matter of tuning into that and trusting it. So do that. Trust it. And let me wrap this up by saying one last thing. Don't invalidate yourself. When you have a thought come to mind, don't immediately go, oh, I shouldn't think that. Or I shouldn't feel that. That is self-invalidation. That's like being rejected by someone who loves you. And you know how that feels, right? At least I do. I know how that feels. I felt it. Don't invalidate yourself. Don't reject yourself. When you have a thought, when you have an emotion, when you have anything come to your mind that you think you shouldn't have, don't invalidate yourself. Allow it to be. It is what it is. It's just a thought. It's just a feeling. It's just an emotion. It's inside of you. Allow it to exist. Because what you resist persists. If I tell you not to think of something, you're going to think about it. When you say, I'm not going to think about it, I'm not going to think about it, you will think about it. So think about it. Let your thoughts expand into whatever they need to expand into and just think about it the whole way through. Even if it hurts, just allow it to be. And if you get angrier, just allow yourself to get angrier. If you get sadder, allow yourself to get sadder. There is some bad stuff happening in the world today and there's a lot of good stuff. And I want you to be there for the good stuff too. I want you to be there authentically so you can enjoy the good stuff. Carrying the pain or carrying the hurt puts a filter over your perspective. But letting go of that or at least experiencing it, allowing it to be inside of you so that it can be expressed fully, whether you have to tell someone or just express it in some other way, just letting it out so that you can feel good again takes off that filter so that when good comes your way, you can experience gratitude. It is possible and it does happen. Let's move on to our next segment called Ask Paul. next segment is called Ask Paul. It's where I read a listener email on the air and do my best to answer and help them through their challenges. This week's letter is from a person named Jill. Just like every week's letter is from a person named Jill. (laughs) I changed the name, so bear with me. Here it is. Hey, Paul, I admire your show. I love how you inspire me to become happy again. I've got a relationship issue, though, and it's really hard to explain and condense everything, but here I go. My boyfriend and I have been together just over a year now. We've been friends, however, for many years previous to this relationship. We are extremely close. I moved for school, and he chose to move over here next to me in the same area. Since then, he's been struggling with bills. 
And now I find that I'm blaming myself and regretting his decision to move. He's thought about moving back, but isn't sure when. I've been thinking about taking him out on dates since he doesn't have the money to go out anymore and really doesn't like going out anyways. But my friend gave me some really good advice about surprising him one day and maybe taking him bowling since that's something we both actually like to do. I was going to do it up until I found out that he talked to a co-worker of his about going bowling with her and her friends. Now, maybe I read the texts wrong or too quickly, and I didn't quite grasp where he was going with the conversation, but the problem is now that I don't want to take him bowling at all. <laughs> now I feel like I might be a copycat or that I got the idea from the texts. Should I just pretend like I never read it and do it anyway? I just don't have the motivation anymore. In fact, I don't have the motivation to fix us anymore. After you helped me getting over being angry every day and you've helped me through relationship and anger coaching, I'm not even mad anymore. I really am just kind of depressed and sad that he's left his family to be with me. He's stressing paying the bills like I am and I'm depressed because I feel like my relationship is tearing apart. I'm depressed because he could have lived so much better back home without me. He could have invested so much money with the job he had before. He could have used his moving money to invest in a better future for us. Should I encourage him to move back home since he's talking to others about it anyway? Ideally, I like having him here, but I love him way too much to just let him drop his opportunities and comfort of living for me. Am I putting myself down too much? I think I need to listen to your podcast on negative self-talk again because I'm really good at crying about how worthless I feel being with him. Since before we started dating, I told him how he's too good for me. I told him that best friends is what we're good at, but we ended up getting together because we started connecting in other romantic ways and I had him in my thoughts constantly. And quite honestly, it's the best and longest relationship I've ever been in. We consistently have issues and I don't know how to fix them anymore. I feel like giving up, but I can't because I don't want to give up on him. Everything I say doesn't matter anymore. I talk about things that bother me and he doesn't. And he complains about how everything is always about me. I don't want to throw out our relationship that we have worked so hard together on. I don't even think he wants me like he used to. I think he feels obligated to be here because he's just gotten used to living here and making friends. Please help me before I go crazy with my overwhelmed brain. Now this letter was written a couple months ago, so I reached back out to Jill and I asked her if it was still the same situation before I read it on the air. And she did send me an update. She said, well, we're still kind of going through the same thing, although I broke up with him three days ago. We tried to work things out ourselves. I thought things were better. He improved and I refrained from giving a lot of attitude, but he needed his space. So this is what I'm giving him. Please help me get my relationship back to how it was. This is the only man I want to marry. We have been best friends for too long and have been through breakups and been there for each other often as a shoulder to cry on. I don't only need him. I want him. I want him to be my husband and the father of my children. All right, Jill, thank you so much for writing that letter and the follow-up so I can pick a direction of where I need to go with this. Uh, one of the things that really stands out in your letter, the very first thing that I thought of, 
was the place that you're coming from. The place that you're coming from in this letter is a place of very high need. It's almost a desperation. It's a place that you need someone to be happy or you need someone in your life to complete you or to fulfill you because you can't fulfill yourself. And I'm going to tell you, when you come from a place of either desperation or high need like that, you'll never find anyone to satisfy you. You'll never find anyone to complete you. You'll never find anyone that makes you happy, at least not in the long term, because you're depending on someone else to fulfill your needs before you even take care of yourself. And you mentioned one place in your letter that said, he says it's all about me. I think the problem is it's really not about you. It is about you, but you don't make it about you. You make it about him. Your needs, your wants, your desires, everything that you think you need in life, you're making about him specifically. And that's a hard thing to live up to for anyone. The more you make things about what he does, what he decides, the less you focus on what you really need in your life for yourself. For instance, one thing that you said was, I'm blaming myself and regretting his decision to move. How can you regret someone else's decision? Now, I know what you mean by it. You're, you're saying that you regret that he moved down here because now he's stuck in a situation. He's not making enough money. But when did you become responsible for his decisions? When did you decide that you are going to take the responsibility away from him, someone who can make up his own mind and make his own decisions, and bear the brunt of that responsibility? What he chooses to do in his life is his choice. The decisions that he makes are his choices. Even if you said, I want you to come down here so bad and I'll do anything to, to get you down here and we'll have the best life possible. Even if you said that and convinced him, he is still 100% responsible for spending the money, quitting his job, taking the time to move down and be with you because he needs to make decisions for his life. And if he wants to include you in his life and be near you, that's his choice. Don't take on that responsibility. Don't take on the burden of any problems that arose because of that choice. That is his choice. He needs to own up to it completely and be responsible for himself. Now, maybe he's doing that. I don't know. But I do know that you are not responsible for the choices that he makes. Even if the choice is to marry you and have children with you, you're still not responsible for that choice. He is. He makes his own decisions. He's going to be his own man and make those decisions. And I hope this isn't happening, but if he's laying the fault or the blame on you, you can stop him in his tracks and say, uh-uh, you made the choice to come down here. If it was because of me, it was still your choice and still your responsibility. So don't look to me for the blame on that one. Of course, I wanted you down here, but you still had to make the choice and take action for yourself. 
And because you wanted me in your life, you chose to come down and live near me. So that's the first thing I want to address is don't lay all of this on you. You know what? His move is not about you. It's about him. It's about what he wants. Yes, you probably are the main subject in his mind of why he's moving down or why he moved down in the first place. But you are still not responsible for him taking the steps to be his own person, to spend his own money, to make the choice to come down and live near you. So that's the first part of my answer. When we come back, we'll go over part two. Let me address a few other things that you said here. Another thing you said is, I've been thinking about taking him out on dates since he doesn't have the money to go out anymore and he really doesn't like going out anyway. Well, if he doesn't like it, he probably doesn't like going out for a specific reason. What's the reason? Why doesn't he like going out? Is he an introvert and just likes watching movies at home? And if that's the case, then emphasize that in the relationship. If you are an extrovert and like going out and socializing, then that might be a slight incompatibility in your relationship. It doesn't mean it's a problem. It can be a problem if that's all you want to do and that's all he doesn't want to do. But if you are there to love and support him, then you're probably going to find things to do that he wants to do and come to some middle ground. Maybe what he likes to do isn't what you like to do, so you probably won't find a middle ground, and that will be a problem. But I'm willing to bet there's something that he likes to do, like you said, bowling, and I'm going to get to that bowling comment in a minute, but it's not about doing the things that you want to do and taking him along. It's coming to a decision of what would be fun for both of you. So that's neither here nor there. It's it's not a vital part of um, what I'm talking about today, but just wanted to mention that, that if he doesn't really like doing it, then why consider doing it? So let me skip on to the next one. You said he could have used his moving money to invest in a better future for us. Again, don't lay any of this on you. That was his decision to move, to spend money, to get broke if it happened, to end up on the street if that happened. These are still his decisions. And he is 100% responsible for the decisions that he makes and the action steps that he takes to where he ends up in life. Now, if you regret that he came down and is now broke and can't take you out and now can't make a future for you guys, I think when you are a couple and you're living together and you plan on getting married or you are married or you just plan on being committed for the long term, then the decisions about where to invest money are more mutual. They're more uh, decided upon by both of you instead of just where, for example, he chose to spend this money. He chose to spend the money to be closer to you. So in a way, that sounds like an investment in the relationship's future. So if you look at it that way, he did make an investment for both of you. Take that burden of where he spent the money, where he invested it off of you because he chose 
to spend the money to be closer to you according to your letter. Now, next point. Should I encourage him to move back home since he's talking to others about it anyway? Now, the update to your letter said that um, he's making friends and maybe he doesn't want to move home now. This is great. This is him getting used to the area, getting used to the environment, and really settling into himself, learning that maybe he does want to stick around. Now, I don't know if that means he wants to stick around and be with you. Quite honestly, I don't know that. But I do know that he's making decisions for himself and doing the things that he feels are good for him. These, again, are his decisions and have nothing to do with you. Even if you guys are a couple and you're getting along great, it's still his decision. And it's still something that you need to remove yourself from the burden of thinking about. I mean, you can see that I can detect a pattern here and I'm, I don't mean to bludgeon you with this information, but you really are taking on way too much of what decisions that he makes in his life when you should really be focusing on what you want in your life. And we're going to get to that in a minute. Now, the next point, you said, since before we started dating, I told him how he's too good for me. Well, let me clear this up right now. No one is too good for you because you are great. Now, I'm not just saying that to blow smoke. I'm saying that because as long as you have that belief that someone is too good for you, you subconsciously put yourself down. And I want that to stop. I want you to stop putting yourself down and realize the good person that you are. I mean, your letter is full of love and compassion and you have these positive aspirations for yourself and for uh, your love life and wanting to be with someone who makes you happy. You are a good person. You are amazing. You've heard me say that every episode. You are amazing. Don't put yourself down ever. That's a direct command to you. Ever by saying that someone is too good for you because damn you're great and I just want you to absorb that soak that in you're great I don't care if you've made mistakes I don't care what you've done in your past right now you're working on yourself you're trying to figure things out people that are inquisitive and curious about their own personal growth and development and really want others to be happy like you you have compassion you have so much inside of you so stop measuring yourself in a way that puts you down and start seeing all the positive aspects of yourself and know that damn when someone gets together with you they're going to have an amazing woman so keep that in your head how about this you're too good for a lot of people out there and they need to measure up to your standards before they can get in and be with you now i know that sounds a little egotistical and you do have to be careful by becoming too egotistical, but I don't think you have it in you to be too egotistical. I think you have more compassion than most people, almost to a fault. And what I mean by that is when you show so much compassion for someone else, you usually take compassion away from yourself. Now, compassion, in my opinion, is the opposite of ego. 
Ego is all about you. It's all about myself. How can I gain for myself and no one else? How can I take everything for myself and not worry about what other people have to go through or if they're suffering or not? Because it's all about me. But you are overly compassionate. You care so much about other people that you don't care enough about yourself. And because of this, what I need you to do is go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com, click on the deeper learning button at the top of the screen, and purchase and download the Stop Self-Sabotage Workbook. It's definitely worth your time. It's only eight pages, but it is enlightening. It's sometimes life-altering because what it will teach you is what is most important to you about the major areas in your life. Now, you might think you know what's most important to you in the major areas of your life, but a lot of people uh, don't actually write them down or understand how to figure out what's most important. Because I'm going to tell you right now, what's most important to you will always drive your behavior. If you don't know what's important to you, then you don't know what's driving your behavior. Like when I mentioned earlier, you take on so much responsibility for other people's decisions and actions. But do you know why? Do you know what's driving that behavior in you? I mean, why do you take responsibility for other people's behavior? When you know what you value most, you make decisions that are in alignment with those values, subconsciously. I mean, the decisions that you make every day, almost every minute, are subconsciously aligned with what you value most. So the Stop Self-Sabotage Worksheet walks you through how to find out what you do value most and helps you learn why you do the things you do and why things don't always turn out the way you want them to turn out. Now with that worksheet, you'll also get a 20-minute video uh, that you can watch me tell you uh, how to do the process. It's really easy. It's really worth it. In fact, it's worth so much more than what I charge for it, but I want everyone to have it and have no excuse for not having it. So click on the deeper learning link at theoverwhelmedbrain.com and you'll find it there. Now, what I want you to work on is after you download that is your values in relationships and especially in attracting the right person into your life. So let's take a quick break again and come back for the final part of my response to you. And I'll tell you what you need to do to get that right person, whether it's him or someone else, but to make that right person happen in your life. Coming up next. All right, I want to tell you what you can do to attract the right person into your life. And you're going to do this. You're going to write down exactly what you want in a mate, down to how many hairs he has on his head or she, whatever you want in a mate. You don't have to be that specific, but you get what I mean. If, if you want the person to make 75K a year, then put that down. Put down specifics. If you want the person to be five foot six, no taller, no shorter, put that down. So 
that's what I want you to do is write down your ideal mate. But listen closely. Don't match what you already have. Don't put a label on that person. Don't give them a name. Don't call him or her a name that you already know. Because what you're doing is defining your ideal mate, your ideal lover, romantic partner, whatever you want to call him or her. And write down everything you want in a person. Then after you write that down, then you can compare what you want in your life and what you're getting. And sometimes the people in our life don't match with what we wrote down. The idea, though, is to not match what we have in our life unless it really does. If it matches, great. You're on the right track and you're attracting the right people. If it doesn't, don't worry about the label. The label is the name. The label is the people that you already know. Just say, if I were to attract my ideal partner, they would look like this. And it's more than just looks. They would be made up of these characteristics or qualities. I tell you what, when you do that, you get really clear on what you want in your life. And being clear is a lot better than just winging it and hoping that the people that you meet have the right qualities and that you find out about only after months of being with them. But if you have these qualities uh, on a list beforehand, then you can do some comparison checking. Wow, does this person smoke? Well, that's not on my list. I don't want smoking and they smoke. Well, that gives me an opportunity to say no right now. Or another opportunity to include that on my list saying, hey, that's not so bad, I can handle that. But you need something in place, some sort of static idea of what is the perfect person for you. Now, will you always get the perfect person? Probably not. If you want someone that's 5'6 and you get someone that's 5'7, maybe you'll be okay with that. You know, if you get someone that makes 25K a year as opposed to 75K a year, maybe you'll be okay with that too. It doesn't matter because all I want you to do is have the list, not because that's exactly what you'll get, but it allows you to compare, measure, contrast, and move forward knowing what you do want in life. And knowing what you want is half the battle, right? Knowing what you want so that when somebody comes your way, you can be surprised and go, whoa, that matches my list. Whoa, that item matches my list too. Well, that doesn't quite match, but you know what? This, this, and this do match. This is really a good potential. Now, another thing you can do, and this is described in the self-sabotage workbook, is to put things in a hierarchy. Put the most important first and the least important last. That way, when you do meet someone and you start going over your list of criteria, you can see if they meet the most important aspects or qualities that you're looking for. And if they are not meeting those most important aspects, the rest of it probably doesn't matter. For example, the guy that moved down to be close to you. Let's just say that he was incapable of making more money than he's making now and you didn't feel good about that. Let's just say that on your list, he needs to be self-sufficient and not behind on his bills all the time, always stressing about finances. But that's what he was. But since you love him, you kind of give him some leeway, give him a little break here and there, maybe even pay for dates uh, and let things slide. 
But if you had this list and you saw that one of your top priorities was that he was self-sufficient, especially financially, guess what? If that doesn't change, he may never make you happy. Now, is that a shallow thought process to think that money is something that drives us or makes us happy? No, it's just a thought. It's just criteria. It's just something that you want in your life. He may make no money and be a humanitarian. It doesn't matter because if you find it important, that's what matters. You want what you want in your life and you deserve to get what you want in your life. You may not always get it, (laughs) but I guarantee you'll get food for thought. I guarantee that when you do meet someone who doesn't meet some of your criteria, you'll have an opportunity to rethink some of that criteria and find out if it's acceptable in your life. If you don't mind that he might be financially strapped because he has so many other wonderful qualities, then maybe allowing him into your life is something you can try. Now, I know that you guys just broke up and you still want him back, but this list that you're going to create is what I want you to consider for allowing anybody into your life. Remember, don't put his name on this list. Just make it generic. That way, if someone comes along that is not only fitting all of your criteria, but also makes you just as happy, if not more happy than he did, why wouldn't you give it a chance? What if someone came along and have had more qualities and characteristics than this other guy has, and you find out that he can actually make you even happier? Again, I'm not telling you to rely on someone else for your happiness. I'm just saying when you find someone with the criteria that makes you fulfilled in a relationship, then why does it matter what label that person has? Why does it matter what name they have? If someone comes along that is so much more fulfilling for you in every way, then why would you stick around with someone who doesn't seem to want to stick around with you. I'm not saying that's the case, but when things work, they really work. They synchronize, and you guys get along great, and it grows and grows. It doesn't grow apart. It grows closer, and it should grow closer every day to a point where you just feel close, comfortable, and safe with each other and not stressed out all the time. Usually when that happens, there is Uh, values that are out of alignment with each other. If he did this values assessment where he wrote down what's important to him in a relationship and what's important to him in a mate or a partner, you'll find out exactly if you fit the criteria. My guess is that your values are out of alignment with his. So what he's looking for and what you're looking for are divergent. They're going in two different directions and you may never be able to meet in the middle. Now, I know that you love him and you want to have kids with him, but think about what you've had up to now and then amplify that by 10. Amplify that by 100. Because when you commit or marry someone, whatever is happening now and up to now, whatever emotional triggers that have come up, whatever arguments that you've had, they multiply, they amplify in a marriage. They amplify in a committed relationship. And if you don't believe me, you've probably never been in a long-term committed relationship. But if you do believe me, you probably understand where I'm coming from. When I got married, 
I thought it was the cure-all for all our arguments and disagreements and things like that. But it turns out that when you get married, it just solidifies what's already there and brings it out to the surface more often than not. If you were arguing a little bit before, you argue a lot after the marriage, typically. This is typical findings in, in my coaching career. But what I found is that when you are supportive of each other and loving each other to the point where you want the other person to be happy no matter what, even if their happiness doesn't include you, you build a powerful, bonding, long-lasting relationship. That's someone that you feel good committing to and being with for a long time, if not the rest of your life. That's powerful. That's a place of fulfillment. That's a place of satisfaction, of having each other's back uh, almost selflessly. That's where I want you to be in a relationship. So regardless if it's this guy, another guy, or someone else, make that list of your perfect match and then measure the criteria of people that you meet against that list and be choosy. Be choosy because hardly anyone is good enough for you. And you know what I mean when I say that. It means that people have to pass your criteria to be with you. And that's important for you to be happy. That's where happiness comes from. It doesn't come from another person. It comes from you honoring yourself to the point that you will exclude anyone that doesn't honor you doesn't honor your boundaries, your values, doesn't honor who you want to be and how you show up in life. I hope this helps. And if you guys get together again and give it a shot again, I wish you the best. And certainly reach out to me if you want to do any one-on-one coaching with this. Uh, It's one of my specialties, relationships. I've been through so many and I've talked to so many people regarding relationships. So uh, I might have some insights for you. Anyway, thank you so much for writing, Jill. I appreciate you reaching out to me. And I hope this has been able to help you a little bit. All right, this next segment is called What's in the Box? It's kind of that potpourri segment that sometimes gets left out in a lot of episodes. But I just want to mention something that came to mind, and that is how our emotions are expressed both verbally and physically. I had this thought many years ago regarding our voice inflection, regarding how we express ourselves through voice. And if you notice, when you listen to me, you notice my the tone of my voice and my inflection go up and down. You know, sometimes I'm talking at a high pitch and sometimes I bring it down and I talk to you at a lower pitch. Now, why is that important? Well, for one, I want you to notice the emotions that get invoked in you when I do that. When I'm talking low, when you can hear me talking like this, it sounds more hypnotic. It sounds more calming. It sounds more relaxing. And, you know, I don't do that on purpose. I just talk from my heart and whatever comes out, comes out. But 
I do notice this even when I'm listening to my own show. I'll listen to my recording and I'll go, oh, I feel pretty good. Then my voice will raise and I'll talk about something with passion or uh, at a higher rate of speed. And, and no matter what I say, you can feel an emotion inside of you get evoked. Now, why is this important? Why does it matter? Well, I care about it in the sense that how many people do you know that speak at an even keel all the time? Hey, this is Paul, and I want to share with you uh, today's lesson, which is apathy. How long can you listen for without going, oh my God, I'm I'm getting a little tired and <laughs> I'm too relaxed and there's just, there's no energy coming out of this conversation. And maybe you don't know why there's no energy coming out of the conversation, but here's the point I'm trying to make, is that the more even keeled in your voice that you are, the less emotion that you're expressing. When I started this show in November of 2013, I sounded like that even-keeled, mostly monotone person that I just imitated. And what I noticed at the beginning is that recording the show stressed me out. It did. It stressed me out, let alone that I had to schedule interviews and talk to people when it was an interview format. But I noticed that I wasn't coming from my heart as much as I was coming from my brain. I was coming from a conscious place of, I have to get everything right. So I got to keep talking uh, and filling space and not leave any dead air and then ask the right questions. And a lot came to mind. You know, that comes with beginning anything, anything that you do that you're new at. I was totally new to broadcasting, so I didn't know how to broadcast. So I would come on the air and just do my best. And I did pretty well. Uh, but I listen to those old recordings now and I go, wow, how did people listen to this stuff? <laughs> and to give you an idea, I'm going to play you a little segment of what I used to sound like right now. The reason I wanted uh, Brian on my show today is that he's an expert on influence and persuasion. Uh, your journey to a stress-free life would be a lot smoother if you knew what influenced you and why you do some of the things you do. And Brian is one of only 20 Cialdini certified method trainers in the world, having been trained by Robert Cialdini himself, who is best known as the author of the extremely popular book, Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion. Brian's also a sales coach for a dozen regional vice presidents across the country. And the focus of his sales training and coaching revolves around ethical influence and persuasion. And now this is what I sound like today. <laughs> Do you notice the difference? There is a difference. If you don't notice it, uh, besides the audio quality, much different th back then, the biggest difference that I notice is that I just sound more authentic today. I listen to myself and I go, he just sounds like he's coming from his heart. I mean, it's weird to think of, of yourself that way, but this is something I've analyzed in myself, why I sound so different than from before. You know, one of the things that happened to me during the first few episodes was being stressed a lot about the show, trying to get a good message out to you and trying to create a good show and, you know, hopefully sustaining the show as much as I can. 
But one of the things I wanted to do was try to figure out how someone can talk for so long. How can someone create these half-hour-long shows or hour-long shows and have so much to talk about? I used to be such an introvert, so talking was not my forte. Although people who know me well tell me differently and say that I talk a lot. But the reason I wasn't uh, so keen on talking is because I was afraid to really express myself in a way uh, at first that seemed embarrassing. I felt embarrassed by allowing my voice to go too high or too low or I just did not allow it to vary too much. But what happened was I started actually exaggerating my inflections. Now, the reason I wanted to do this is because I heard so many radio personalities come on the air and go, how's everybody doing? Welcome to 93.2 WABC. And today we're going to play an oldie but goodie, Guns N' Roses, Paradise City, <laughs> or something like that. But it still sounded phony. I didn't want to come across as phony. But I also didn't want to stay this hello out there. Uh, this is Paul and stay this even keel. And uh, it just felt like I was pretending. So I started exaggerating my voice. I started purposefully raising my voice and saying, hey, or hey, and changing the inflection, changing the pitch and frequency. And what that did, it, it had an effect on me that it's hard to explain until you start practicing this. And if you are one of those even-keeled people that don't have much access to your emotions, it might be half in part uh, to the way you talk and what you allow out of yourself. Because the way you talk is inner emotion expressed outwardly. And what I mean by that is as you raise your voice, you feel differently. And as you lower your voice, you feel differently. This is something that is kind of neat to practice. So I practiced it on the air. I practiced it recording myself and putting these shows out there where I just felt silly because I felt like I was pretending. But there was a, an amazing side effect to it. I started accessing a part of myself that I didn't know I had, a more authentic part of myself, a more expressive creative, innovative part of myself that I didn't even realize I could access so easily. Now, what is that part inside of me? I've come to determine that it's easier access to my subconscious mind. It's that deeper inner place inside of me where the deeper processes of my mind and body are stored. And that includes long-term information. That includes emotions that includes so much more that I didn't have access to before, all because I chose to start exaggerating my inflection of my voice. Now, I can also talk about how the more you move your arms and the more expressive you are physically with your body as you explain things to people, that is also, in my opinion, outward expression of inner emotion. It's a way for emotion to creatively express itself. And it's a way for it to come out. If you have anything trapped in there, if you have any emotions trapped in there, both uh, positive and negative emotions, 
if they're in your body and they need to come out in some way, that's a good start is to start expressing yourself just like I sound now, like I'm doing quite naturally now. I talk this way almost all the time now because I practiced, which helped me access my subconscious mind a little bit more and access those inner emotions and allowed them to come through my voice. So let me end this segment today by just saying that if you are having trouble accessing your emotions, you feel detached, don't be afraid to exaggerate and overexpress when you talk to people, when you're explaining yourself, when you're communicating. And watch other people. You're going to see some people talk with their entire body. Some people will talk with their hands. Some people will move their head and their eyes a lot. And then you're going to see more balanced people that are very low key. And then you're going to hear people that raise their voice a lot and talk with passion and then bring it back down and are low and more neutral. And, you know, these are all just little subtleties on how we communicate. But what I've noticed is that the more I practiced and exaggerated, the more emotion was allowed to come out of me. Inner emotion expressed outwardly. That's how I want to end the show for you today. I wish you the very best. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll talk again soon. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. Now, I'm just going to end the show really quickly because we are way over time. And if you're still listening, then maybe you don't care for overtime. <laughs> you know, it's a podcast. We don't have to follow any type of schedule or consistency. But I like to anyway. I like to try to at least stay a little bit consistent. What I want to say today is related to today's Ask Paul segment. She said something that I didn't really address, and that was... Uh, the person that moved down to be close to her said that he was starting to talk to other people, starting to talk to co-workers, and one of the co-workers said, hey, let's go bowling. And she's like, oh, great, if they take him bowling, then what's the point of me taking him bowling? And I thought, wait a minute, uh, why does that matter if someone else is going to take him bowling? <laughs> why don't you take him bowling too? Or why don't you go with him with their friend, with his friends or his co-workers? Maybe you'd all have fun. Maybe you can make new friends yourself and uh, it would be just an all-around good time. Now, why do I want to address that? Well, for two reasons. One, I forgot to mention it in the segment. <laughs> and two, these kind of thought processes plague us all the time. You know, we think, oh, should I do this or should I do that? Is he going to be mad or is he not going to like it or is she not going to like it? Why do we let these thought processes plague us when all we have to do is think, what do I want to do for that person? What do I want to do for you? Just think of it that way. If you ever have a, an indecision where you're not sure what to do, I don't know if I should get this person that gift. What if they don't like it? It doesn't matter. You're going to do your best. And you're going to do what you want to do for that person. Because that's where the authenticity comes from. That's where your good nature comes from. It's from you. Not trying to manipulate or coerce an outcome. 
just do what you want to do for someone. And then let them be responsible for the outcome, for their feelings, for their thoughts. It's possible they don't like what you get them or what you do for them. But that's still their issue. Because someone who loves you and supports you is going to see the intention behind what you did. And they're going to go, wow, that was very nice of you. You know, one story I can relate to that is when I was married, my wife got me a bunch of cliff bars. I don't know if you know what those are, but I can't stand them. <laughs> they're sticky, they're sweet, and I just don't like eating them. They're probably delicious to other people, but I can't stand them. And uh, she was trying to get me a, a healthy snack because I never ate enough throughout the day. I would get involved in my work and just work and work and work without thinking about eating. So she came home and she was so excited. And she showed me all these different flavors and she was just so happy to show me and share with me and said that this would be a solution so I wouldn't starve and lose my energy throughout the day. Well, I looked at them all and I was smiling and at the time I was really practicing honesty and being authentic and I said, I hate to say this, but I don't like Cliff Bars at all. She's like, you don't? I was like, I'm so sorry. I know that you took the time to get this and I, I'm so sorry that I don't like them and I'll take care of it. I'll take them back. And her face just sank. She suddenly just felt rejected, betrayed. I don't know what was going through her mind. She felt very sad. Whatever she was feeling, it was happening in that moment. And then I realized what I did. I forgot to focus and acknowledge her intention. I forgot to realize that she probably spent a lot of time and energy thinking about what she was doing in the store, thinking of me, going beyond her own needs and thinking of me, picking out each and every individual one and just feeling good knowing that she was going to do something for me. And then she brought them to me and I completely just blew up that uh, wonderful image that she had in her mind of me being happy and I felt awful. I felt terrible after that. I felt so bad because I could see that I really crushed her spirit. I really crushed her and made her sad and made her, I think, completely invalidated her. And it was true. I did. I invalidated her. And it wasn't intentional. I actually was working on being honest, like I said, being authentic. It was not intentional. But the problem was I forgot to focus on the intention. I forgot to focus on the thoughts and the feelings that she had at the time she was doing it. And had I done that, I would have said, oh my God, you took a lot of time to do this. Thank you so much. This could, this is really fantastic. I am so grateful. Thank you so much. And then I probably would have silently taken them back to the store and replaced them with something else and never told her. <laughs> yes, it's deceptive. It's not fully uh, truthful. But it doesn't matter because the act of eating another bar instead of those isn't the point. The point is I should have acknowledged her intentions. I should have acknowledged her generosity. And I probably carry a little regret 
for that moment. But it happened and it was a good lesson and I've taken it with me in every other moment since then. It doesn't have to be a lie, but you don't always have to tell the entire truth because you don't know what somebody went through to do something for you. So Jill, this is what I want you to take away. Do what you want to do for that person regardless of whatever's going on in their life. If you know that he loves bowling, then take him bowling. If he has bowling the very next night, that's not your problem. You're doing it because you know he likes it and you're just going to do it because it's something that he shared with you that he likes. And he's either going to see that your intention was true and good and wanting to make him happy or he's not. But it's still his responsibility and it's the best way to be authentic instead of influencing the circumstances. Try not to influence the outcome. Just do what you feel is right and good and follow through. And if it turns out that you get a gift that somebody else got them, well, that's not your fault. Your intention was there and they can choose to focus on your intention or they can choose to focus on what pleases or doesn't please them. Hopefully they don't do what I did (laughs) and focused on what didn't please me when I was married at that time. I appreciate you and with that I want you to open your mind and step into your power and be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure and above all and this is something that I absolutely know to be true about you. You are amazing. Amazing.